right, my friends. So now we're going to move into our presentation for today. Like we talked about, Dan is going to be talking to us about 1031s and the tax benefits that come out of that. Um, and so it'll be about a 20, 25 minute type presentation. Then we'll have the Q&A at the end. So any questions that come up for you, drop them in the chat, make a note of them, and we'll tackle them on the back end for you. And with that being said, Dan, I'll hand it over to you. If you'll give us a little bit of an intro about who you are, and then we'll flow right into your presentation. Thank you. Um, Dan McCabe with Exchange Resource Group. And I've been doing uh, 1031s. I did my first one in 1977 as part of my practice of law when I was still practicing. And then, um, you know, finally got smart enough to quit practicing and go do something serious. And so for the last 25 years, I've done nothing but uh, 26 years now, uh, 1031s. Um, this is the third company I've owned that does this. We do all types of 1031s and all over the country. Now, obviously, all we're doing is the real estate because the change in the law during the Trump administration, but um, we've done them in every state in the union, and we finally picked up Guam about, what, six, eight months ago, I guess, and so we've done it in every state in the union, American Virgin Islands and Guam, which is all the areas that, that you can do a 1031 if you sell a U.S. property. Now, an interesting side note, just before we even start the class, is if you own a foreign property, you own a condo in Masalan, you can sell the condo in Masalan and, and buy a, a condo um, in another foreign country and the 1031 rules apply. You just can't move that money back and forth over the border. But if you're a U.S. citizen, a U.S. taxpayer, uh, you can do uh, exchanges outside of the country, but they have to originate outside of the country and end outside of the country. So we're going to uh, step into the slideshow here and, and, uh, and share the screen with you and, and walk through I know there's gonna be a lot of questions. I even picked up a point from Charlie's uh, chat room that I wanna, I wanna go over with all of you. Um, so, you know, make a note of your questions. There's, there's no such thing as a dumb question, believe me. Um, only a question you don't have an answer to yet. So, um, you know, smiling face before you with us, that's the best way to contact us. We've made it pretty simple, 303-789-1031. That's our main office. We're located here in Lakewood, Colorado, a Denver suburb. Uh, where it's nice and snowy and cold today, by the way. Uh, so I envy you guys who are talking to, to in Hawaii. Um, but uh, we'll walk through this again. Any questions? Make a note. Be glad to be glad to answer anything you can. And um, you know, and if you can come up with a question, you you know, this is not our first rodeo, as we like to say here in the West. And so we've probably seen it somewhere, and um, and can help you with the issue. So let's jump right into the program. And uh, talk about the purpose of, of a like kind exchange. And, and the real purpose is to transform that taxable sale into a non-taxable event. And what that's going to do is defer your tax liabilities potentially completely and potentially permanently. And then it's really gonna add to your profitability and ultimately to your wealth velocity. So let's walk back and talk about what, what taxes it's gonna it's going to defer. Number one, obviously, is the capital gains tax. And that's a federal tax. The rates vary slightly, but if you're selling a property of any value and you have any other income, it's going to shoot you up into the 20%, the top rate. Almost all of the states, with the exception of those states that do not have a state income tax, i.e. Florida, Texas, Wyoming, those, um, those states, almost all the states also have a state tax here in Colorado is 4.33 and California can be as high as 13.3. And that's on top of the federal tax. And then most of you um, 
based on your incomes will be exposed to what's called the Affordable Health Care Act or the Obamacare, which is a 3.8% tax on that. So depending on where you live, you're looking at it, you know, if you're a Texas or Florida Floridian, you're looking at maybe 24% rough number. Whereas if you're a Californian, you know, you're looking at over a 33% number. So that makes a that makes a real difference. The other thing not to forget is that it also um, defers uh, the depreciation recapture, which is taxed at a 25% rate. Now, the only state in the union where the state tax is not deferred is Pennsylvania. Um, and just to be different, uh, in Pennsylvania, the federal tax is deferred and the, and the other federal uh, taxes are deferred, but the state tax is not deferred and you have to pay the state tax on a, on a 1031. Now, real quickly, California has a really crazy thing called the clawback provision. And in California, they expect you to tell them if you sell in California and buy in Minnesota, as an example, they expect you to tell them every year that you still own that property. If you sell Minnesota and buy in Arizona, they want you to follow around. And if you ever cash out, then California expects you to pay them that 13.3% that you didn't pay them when you sold a California property 20 years earlier. I would say the chances of that being carefully followed are slim and none, and slim just left town. And what's interesting about California is that that program costs them more to administer than they have ever made on the program. So, but just be advised that a lot of bad ideas, being a former trial attorney and a, and a judge for a period of time, bad ideas start in California and spread other places. So do not be surprised if that may not be coming to a state near you. Oregon is looking at it. I understand Montana is looking at enacting it. So be prepared. Uh, it may be coming to a state near you, particularly those states that are in financial trouble and, and are trying to generate every nickel they can. So the other thing that it, that it does, and the real reason they, they put it together originally is it incentivizes reinvestment. It's a nationwide economic engine. Um, it's been in existence for over 100 years, and uh, there have been tweaks and, and modifications to it, but the core of it as a real estate uh, reinvestment, uh, tax savings, and wealth velocity builder has not changed over that 101 years that it's been in existence. Uh, so, we, and, and we don't see major changes to it. I'll, I might mention a little modification, a little thing that's coming up, but there, we don't. You know, I've, I've gone back and testified before Congress during the Clinton administration because every um, every Democratic administration, it seems like, wants to talk about doing away with it. And then the real estate investors get a hold of their, their senators and congressmen, and, and that kind of goes away. So don't anticipate anything happening uh, during the Biden administration. They've kind of made a run at it. Um, Senator Kennedy from Louisiana did a voice vote, which passed the Senate. Um, which basically said, don't don't mess with 1031 because you're going to get your hat handed to you. So I don't anticipate that the Biden administration is going to come back and touch that anymore at all. Um, but it's something we're constantly aware of and constantly monitoring. In fact, I just got an, an email this morning from our lobbyist in Washington, D.C. that there's there's been a little wrinkle, but, it, but it's nothing that uh, anybody's going to lose any sleep over. Okay, moving right ahead. How does a 1031 exchange work? I know a number of you have done them, and, and uh, so maybe some of this is, is repeat, but it's always something to keep in mind. Um, any U.S. taxpayer, whether it be an individual, a corporation, an LLC, a trust, um, can do a 1031. 
any taxpayer, that's any entity or individual that has a tax ID number or a social security number. And, and so um, real important thing here, just got off the phone with a gentleman this morning in Texas who had talked about doing one, but they weren't sure and they weren't sure. And he came back and said, well, we closed on the 11th. And I had to say, sorry, Charlie, you just lost the opportunity. You have to get in contact. You have to have the 1031 in place prior to your closing on your sale of your property. Okay, so those are uh, that's an important point to keep in mind. You that that bus does not have a reverse. You, you can't back that. You can't back that transaction up with rare exceptions. Done it about three times, maybe in the last twenty five years. Okay, in the in an exchange, you relinquish one or more qualified real estate interests, and you acquire one or more qualified real estate interests. And here I want to just touch on something that Charlie mentioned about how hard it is to find properties and do everything in the 45 days. And he's absolutely right. I get to, we get to see the American real estate market from the 30,000 foot view um, and literally doing deals all over the nation. And, and he's absolutely right. Some market, markets are hotter than others, but all of them are really warm. One of the rules you'll see as we move through is, is the taxpayer that sells must be the taxpayer that buys. So you don't want to change tax ID numbers. You cannot change tax ID numbers in the middle of an exchange. So when you go into the title company or the attorney's office and you close that sale, that entity, the, the cl title closer is going to send a 1099 to the Internal Revenue Service and it goes to some you know, big computer out in the middle of the Utah desert someplace. And it says, hey, this number made $400,000 on the sale of this property. And then that tax year, when you file your, your 1040, your tax preparer is going to add a form 8824 to it, which tells that big computer out, out in Utah or wherever it might be located. Um, ignore that 400,000 because look at, he, he sold that 400,000, but he invested 485 over here. And so if those tax ID numbers match up, the computer can read that and you don't get a call or, or a uh, what I call a nasty gram from the Internal Revenue Service saying, hey, we want to we want to chat with you. So that's the exchanger that sells must be the exchanger that buys. Now, after the fact, if you wish to move it into an LLC or do something else with it, those are options that are available to you. But during the exchange, you have to keep those numbers the same. Okay. Now, uh, what I'm going to do here is walk you through a, a quick illustration of the power of a 1031 and, and why you want to why you might want to consider one at any point in time in your investing career, but in practicality, the earlier on, the better. So we're just going to walk through. We we try to make these as simple as possible, and 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 we haven't used inflated numbers. So both investor A and investor B are going to sell their properties. They're, they're identical, but A is going to do an exchange, and that's the reason for the section sign there on A's. And B is not going to. So on the first sale, um, let's just assume that they made $100,000. They've got a tax rate. Notice we used a low tax rate. We only used the federal tax rate there. We didn't, we didn't involve any others. And, and that actually, there's no state in the union where that would apply because realistically, you'd have, to, you'd have to add the Obamacare to it. But not to blow the numbers out of reach, we, we did exactly this. We used some low percentages. So A, A sells, they both make 100 grand have 100, 100 grand taxable, um, A pays zero, B pays his 20% and down the road they go. Now, this looks pretty good. You may, you, at the end of the day, 
you know, theoretically, uh, A's got $100,000 more purchasing power than B does, but, but watch, watch and, and see what happens. On the second sale, the numbers get even a little bit different. By now, the properties have risen. There's still a 20%. B is going to pay his 22,000. A is going to pay none. At the end of the day, um, B is looking for 690, $700,000 worth of property. Uh, excuse me, A is looking at, at $700,000 worth of property. B is looking at, at 450. Um, but let's keep going and, and look at you know look at the next option. So now uh, we're 10 years down the road and we've sold a third property. Again, A is looking at almost a million dollars worth of reinvestment. B is looking at less than half that. And that's the number I wanna keep pointing you out to. We've talked about accelerating your wealth. Now let's go to, let's go to year 20 where, where the numbers really, really do get interesting. And as you can see here in year 20, by now, um, the, the uh, value of the property has tripled in difference. The um, ability to, to buy the purchasing power of A is four times that of B, even though B has only paid $106,630 in taxes. The, uh, the growth acceleration and the acceleration of wealth is just staggering and um and i think this is a tool that if you don't have it in your toolbox and you're not willing to to make use of it um it, it's hard to consider you a serious uh, serious about growing your wealth and serious about investing um, again these are fairly simplified we tried not to pump the numbers up um, but in actuality the numbers would probably be higher because of the additional additional taxes that would be due and owing Okay, now let's talk about the 1031 itself. And, and um, I'm going to walk through each of these, mention them, and, and um, you know, during the question and answer, if you have, have any issues, we can come back to them. Number one, that's the quote from the statute, trade, business, or investment. And that can be basically any place you don't put your little head down every night. Um, a lot of people uh, use the word like kind, and like kind in real estate is real estate. So you can sell a condo and buy a ranch. You can sell an apartment building and buy an industrial complex. You can sell a single family residence and buy a duplex. You can buy any asset that the state in which that asset is located considers it to be real estate. And that gets real interesting, probably more in the West than in the East, but um, out in the West, um, here in Colorado, water rights are considered real estate. In most of the West and in Pennsylvania, gas and oil rights are considered real estate. I've actually did a case uh, where developmental rights were considered real estate. And the guy sold a space above his bar in Boston to a local developer because of the, the regulations. Um, so real estate is real estate is real estate. And the only requirement is if you sell in the United States, you must buy in the United States, and that includes the American Virgin Islands and Guam. So that's, that's what that is. 45-day identif identification period. From the day you close, all of these are closing dates, the date that risk of loss passes. From the day you close, you have 45 days within which to identify properties you wish to purchase. So if something doesn't look good, Modify it, send us an email and modify it. 
All, all the, the requirement for identification is it must be in writing and it, quote, must be adequately identified so an agent of average intelligence can locate it, end quote. Um, so, you know, I'm going to buy one, two, three, North second. Ten days later, scratch North second. I'm going to buy eight, nine, ten maple. And um, you can identify three. If you identify three or less, the only limitation is the geographic limitation. It must be in the United States. If you identify more than three, then you bump up against what's called the 200% rule. And that says if you identify four or five, the combined purchase price of those properties identified cannot be more than 200% of what you sold. Now, if you, identify, if you violate that rule, there's another thing called a 95% rule that we won't even get into because it's in, in 26 years of doing this full time, I've never seen anybody meet that rule. So we keep people away from that area. We keep them either in the three or, the, or under the 200%. Uh, just for your own protection. All right. Then there's the 180 day period. Within 180 days after that closing date, you must close on reinvestment property of some nature. If you fail to do that, you create a taxable event. Or if you fail to get everybody, get all your money spent, then you expose that money you don't spend to, to a potential tax. Number four, you have to use a qualified intermediary. And the government doesn't say who can be a qualified intermediary. They just say who cannot be. You can't use anyone with whom you've done business in the last two years in a capacity other than as a qualified intermediary. So for the most part, you can't use your attorney. You can't use your accountant. You don't. And I'll explain that in a moment. But you, you that that's built this industry that those of us who enjoy participating in is called a QI industry. Most of the major QI companies in the United States are owned by large title companies. We are not, we're a boutique. We do nothing but 1031 tax deferred exchange. So, um, you know, that's, that's just what we are. Title requirement. Again, the taxpayer that sells must be the taxpayer that buys. People say, well, it's in my name and my wife's name, but should I? No, don't add your don't add your wife's social security number to it if she wasn't on it to begin with. It doesn't make any difference anyway because you're going to file a joint tax return at the end of the year. So it isn't the name that's important. It's the tax ID number that's important. The IRS doesn't care what your name is. They just want to know what your number is. Number six, reinvestment requirement. This is commonly known as the equal or up rule. And this is another oftentimes misunderstood rule. And what it says is, in order to have a 100% tax deferred exchange, um, the easiest way to do that is to simply add the cash plus the debt relief. So if you simply can picture a settlement statement in front of you, you can see cash, you know, transfer to exchange account, pay off to Wells Fargo. Add those two numbers together, that becomes your reinvestment goal. As long as you meet or exceed that reinvestment goal, it's 100% tax deferred. If you fall short of that, you find the ideal property and it's 50 grand less than what you sold, but it's a, a great opportunity and you move forward and buy that one, then you simply expose that 50 grand to tax. You don't blow up the whole thing. You simply expose that number that you do not reinvest to potential tax. 
And last but not least, um, by no means least, is you have to act prior to closing. You have to have the 1031 documentation in place prior to sitting down and signing on the closing. And so that's why we say, you know, give us a couple of weeks, please. I mean, we've, we've literally done them while people are sitting at the closing table. I've literally had closers call me and say, hey, Dan, these people just decided to do a 1031. And, you know, we were able to, uh, you know, I, I had to call in some IOUs from the processing people and they throw paper clips at you and stuff like that. But you can get it done, but we would prefer not to do it. Um, and, and you would prefer not to do it because you don't want to live under that, that kind of pressure. So as soon as you think you're going to sell, pick up the phone, give us a call, shoot us an email, tell us what you're going to sell, tell us who's going to handle the closing. We'll pick up the ball and run, run with it from there. When we send the title company the documents for the 1031, we copy you so you can read them through, you can ask questions, you can, uh, you know, you can deal with them as you, as you see fit. So keep in mind, you got to act prior to closing. Okay, so um, what, what is a qualified intermediary and, and why do you need to use one, all right? Really, really quickly, uh, most of my day is spent consulting with people. I talk to folks all over the United States. I've had Texas today, California, I can't think of who else. We spend most of our time, I have Caleb's in, in my office here with me right now at this moment and, and um, you know, and Scott and Drew and, and uh, Luann and Dave and people all over the country, we spend most of our time consulting, um, talking to people how to, how to walk through it, what do you need to look for, you know, run your idea past us and we'll, we'll tell you what, what we think of it. Um, so consulting on the 1031 subject, and as I explained when I teach our, our uh, consultants, our job is to raise your comfort level. Um, if you don't understand it, we're not doing our job. So, from my point of view, the consulting is, is really, really important because if we don't do that properly, the rest of it is just kind of a blur. Secondly, we prepare and review all the necessary documents. From the title company, we get a copy of your contract. We get a copy of your title work. We use that to prepare our documents. What you'll see inside our documents is an exchange agreement. And you know anything that has a page and a half of definitions is designed for the federal government. And so that's the document, that's the horse, so to speak, that the IRS uh, wants to see inside it, explains the, the parties, explains. You'll see a notice to the other side that you're doing a 1031. And last but by no means least, you'll see an agreement with the bank. And your funds go directly from closing to an entity, uh, Right now, uh, it goes to Fortis Private Bank, which is a high net worth business bank here in Denver, Colorado. And they hold your funds in an account that has your social security number on it, that has your name on it, and it requires your signature and the bank's authorization and our authorization in order the funds to be moved. So, you know, a number of years ago, there were some, uh, some bluntly bad QIs who, who uh, absconded with some funds and, and um, this guarantees that can't happen because the money can't move without it. Just so you understand that the moment those funds hit the bank, you get an email from the bank saying, we just received $438,329.32. Okay, and you get that directly from the bank. The it's automated the moment the money hits the bank. Then about three days later, because it has to be generated by human hands, you receive what we call our 45-day package. 
And that 45-day package says, thanks for doing business with us. Our records show that you closed on this date. Therefore, your 45th day is this date. Your 180th day is this date. We receive this amount of money. If that's not correct, contact us immediately. And here is a form for you to fill out identifying properties. You can simply fill this out and send it back to us, either by email, snail mail, or fax. And um, so we take those steps to minimize the, uh, um, the strain on the exchanger. We do these things you know, to, in my humble opinion, and I, like I said, I've been involved in this a long time and, and been through some, some situations when I was president of the Federation of Exchange Accommodators that we had some bad QIs. This is the best way your money can be protected. Um, because it cannot be moved by anyone without your written authorization. I can't move it. Caleb can't move it. <laughs> Scott can't. Nobody can move it um, without your written authorization. And, you know, kind of sitting in that catbird seat, watching what went on and seeing people say, oh, we have a $10 million bond. Well, $10 million doesn't go very far when, you know, on an average daily basis, you're, hundred, you're holding, you know, $150, $175 million. It just doesn't, doesn't go very far. Okay. So I don't know if this is the time you want to answer questions or, or uh, how you want to move forward, but we're at your command. <laughs>